Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But as we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us then confess our sins unto God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unkind men. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have done. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you, and for his sake he forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
comfort and defend us, gracious Lord.
The Old Testament reading appointed for the fifth Sunday in Lent is from the prophet Isaiah, the 43rd chapter. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down and they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, the third chapter. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 20th chapter. And Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away, empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. And so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. This is the gospel of the Lord. Together now we confess our Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not being being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I will be the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text from the Holy Gospel, these words from Luke 20. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son, and perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Who killed Christ? That's the perennial question that's asked and answered at this time of the year, it seems every year, with charges and with countercharges as to who it was that really killed Jesus with arguments and then excuses given and apologies made and every group accused then exonerating themselves. Who killed Christ? Not us. Not me. Personally, I think there's something to be said about the answer that actor-director Mel Gibson gave a few years ago. This controversial movie, The Passion of the Christ, had just been released to the theaters and he was being interviewed by someone on television who obviously had a slant that would like to have caught Mel Gibson in this idea of anti-Semiticism. And so he was asked whether or not he thought it was the Jews who killed Jesus, to which Gibson, with his sardonic wit, smiled and answered, well, there weren't any Norwegians there. Now you can imagine the stir that that caused at the time. But Gibson's answer was technically correct. There weren't any Norwegians there, and I don't say that of any personal ethnic bias. And as far as can be determined, in fact, it's even likely that a fact that there were no Chinese there, no Mexicans there, no Eskimos there, no Filipinos there either, but while Gibson's answer is technically correct, it's not a complete answer, and he knew that, and that's why he hurried on to say after he gave that initial reaction, he hastened to add that, well, yes, the Jews killed Jesus even more, even more. The guilt of killing Jesus rested with Mel Gibson. He put the blame on himself, rightly so, his sin, his guilt, according to Gibson, the sins of Mel Gibson killed the Christ. An answer to which Martin Luther himself would have added his Das Voltegott. Amen. Amen to that. The Jews, you see, are no more to blame, though they are to blame. They're no more to blame than Pontius Pilate. They're no more to blame than the rest of the Roman troops from wherever in the Roman Empire they had come. They're no more or less to blame than all the rest of us who might try to claim some degree of innocence because we're so far removed by 
a couple of thousand years and by tens of thousands of miles from the event that took place on that day when Jesus of Nazareth was killed, we're all to blame, we're all responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. Now I know that it's somewhat easy to say that, isn't it? It's sort of easy to to speak about a general guilt and blame that we all have. We're all responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. It sort of takes the the personal edge off it, doesn't it? It takes the me out of it. It takes the I out of it, and it makes it into kind of a soupy kind of a confession that's easy to swallow instead of a, a meaty one that has to be chewed and tasted before it's swallowed. After all, who wants to identify so personally and individually with the wicked tenants in today's text? It's not at all a comfortable fit if we think of ourselves as being with those wicked tenants in today's text. Sinners, yes, but sinners like those wicked tenants in today's text who deserve to be thrown out of the vineyard? No, not us. Surely not us. That was the Jews. Surely not us. Now there's no doubt that when Jesus first spoke that parable that he had the Jewish religious leaders of the day in mind. We know that. All you have to do is look at the text and you can see very clearly at the end of the gospel reading where St. Luke himself says, quote, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on Jesus that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against him, and he had, against them. But note well, to whom does Jesus actually speak the parable? As you read the text, to whom does he speak the parable? He's not speaking the parable to the scribes and the Pharisees in particular. Indeed, St. Luke says, and Jesus began to tell the people this parable. The people are told this parable. The people didn't really like what Jesus was saying about them either about their lives, about their city, about their holy temple, and about all that was going to come to it eventually. You see, the people didn't like being identified with the tenants in the parable either, and just as the scribes perceived that the parable was about them, so the people also perceived that the parable was about them too. After all, how did the people respond after Jesus concluded that the parable, by saying that the owner of the vineyard was going to come and, quote, destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. The people, St. Luke says, who heard this parable responded by saying, surely not, surely not. Literally, in the Greek, me genoito, me genoito, let it never be, let it never happen, Lord. The only time in the Gospels where this unique phrase is used, and what's interesting is that its Hebrew counterpart suggests uh, an attitude of insincerity in what's being said. They're not sincere about what they're saying when they say, let it never be, Lord. Surely not. It wasn't an expression, you see, of real regret and repentance over the fact that they had killed the son when he'd come into the vineyard. It was rather a fear and a grief being expressed over the destruction that was coming their way. The tears were not tears of repentance over having killed the son, 
but rather tears of fear that were being expressed over what was going to happen to them down the road, what they stood to lose, not in what they had done in killing the vineyard owner's beloved son. But we're not like the religious leaders of that day, are we? We're not like the people to whom Jesus told this parable. We never think the way that they thought. We never do anything in the vineyard that would in any way show any disregard or such disrespect for the beloved son of the vineyard owner. We would never, as they did in hearing about the impending sin-caused loss of their city or their homes, or their livelihood about anything that meant everything to them, allow our concerns about our homes or about our livelihood or about our families or our wealth or our health or our national future or any such thing, all those things that we all have worked so hard to attain, to put together and to keep together in life, we'd never ever let all of those things so consume us that they would become of paramount importance to us over the sun, of the vineyard owner, so much of a concern to us and consume us so much that we would have little or no time to even reflect upon and be penitent about our sins, except in a corporate general way, our sins and what they have done to kill the vineyard owner's beloved son. May it never be, Lord, that we would be like that. We would never do what they did in rejecting or tuning out, surely, the words of the prophets that had been sent to them of old. We would never, with itching ears for something novel and new, give ourselves over to the teachings of those who had strayed from the prophets and from the apostles and from the confessions and from the creeds of the church, which are time-tested and have proven to be tried and true and to be sure we'd never allow the enticing demands of the secular world rob our children of those sacred settings and times where the vineyard owner's beloved son promises to, to come and to make our children his heirs and to teach our children and to, to bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. May it never be that we would do that We would never, like the tenants in the vineyard, see the vineyard owner's son coming to us in common dress and in humble garb as being something for which we would have disdain and be able to show disrespect to him. Think on that. The vineyard owner's son, obviously in the parable today, didn't come to the vineyard with a mighty vanguard of an army at his side, which he may well have done, surrounded by guards coming in royal garb and, and robes. No, he doesn't. Obviously, had he come that way, there's no way that they would have dared to speak against him, let alone kill him. No, he comes humbly. The vineyard owner's son comes to the tenants in such a gentle way, even on a donkey in such a humble manner, even as he comes to us today so humbly, vested in bread and wine 
The son came to the vineyard in such a, a vulnerable way that they perceived him to be dispensable. And so they disposed of him. We would never. But oh yes, we have. We, like the tenants in the vineyard, have in one way or the other, look at your own life, look at our lives corporately, we have in one way or the other considered the vineyard owner's beloved son to be somehow dispensable in our lives, dispensable to us as he comes to us in bread and in, in wine, and we say, no, not needed, not that significant, not that important, perhaps not needed yet, I have other things to do, no time, dispensable when he's gotten in the way of what we wanted to do or where we wanted to go or how we wanted to do it in life, selectively dispensable to be sure, because we want him around when we need his helping hand to change some of our common water into wine for whatever reason, or to heal some sicknesses, or to multiply some needed bread and fish, or to take care of a few nasty demons that are troubling our lives now and then, selectively disposable, selectively dispensable because we want them around when things in our lives seem to be getting out of control. But otherwise, we prefer to think of ourselves as being the Lord of the vineyard, or at least our little portion of that vineyard, to which then we would allow him access at our periodic bidding, thus reversing the roles of the tenant with the vineyard owner's son. How often we have prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we've really meant my will be done on earth until I get to heaven. And so who are the tenants in the vineyard who killed the vineyard owner's son? Friends, it all comes down to this. We're all individually, individually as guilty as the tenants in the vineyard, individually as guilty as the Jews in Jerusalem, as guilty as Pontius Pilate, as guilty as Mel Gibson, as guilty as any and all who are responsible for the killing of the Christ, our sins doing no less harm to him than the sins of any other who put him on that tree. What now will the vineyard owner do to those who are responsible for the death of his beloved son? Will he come to destroy us? May it never be, O Lord, we cry. And good news, dear friends, good news it never, ever will be. It'll never be for us because of what Jesus says next in the parable when he St. Luke says, look directly at the people. And then he quotes the 118th Psalm, the Hosanna Psalm, that would be sung by the people as Jesus would enter into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. A part of which Psalm says, the stone which the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. You see, the vineyard owner's beloved son is the stone that the builders rejected, the cornerstone, the first stone that set in a new structure, 
the indispensable stone that's there upon which everything else in the structure is built, upon which all other stones in the structure, you and me and all the rest of us, must indeed rest. The indispensable cornerstone, the stone upon which that structure has to be built if it's going to endure, reject the cornerstone and the whole structure will collapse even as did Jerusalem and its temple only 30 years after it rejected the Christ. Jesus, the stone which the builders rejected, Jesus, the cornerstone, called that cornerstone by the apostles of our Lord six different times in the New Testament. And then to end this parable, Jesus adds these interesting words and he says, everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Thank God. Thank God that you and I have been led by the Spirit of God to stumble over Christ and him crucified. Thank God that we who, like the tenants in the vineyard, have all too often thought that we could step over Christ or step on Christ, have indeed stumbled over him. Thank God that those of us who have so often thought that we count him a bit dispensable in our lives or at least controllable in our lives have been broken to pieces by God's word of law and have been laid flat on our backs by the weight of our sins, flat on our backs at the foot of the cross, where we look up from where we're lying and we see that the cross upon which we belong is already occupied. Not empty, but occupied. Occupied by the one who was sent by the vineyard owner himself, the vineyard owner's beloved son. Occupied by the one who bent himself then down low in our humanity, in order that he might take what we are and make it himself, the full weight of our sins being upon him to be made sin for us, St. Paul says, occupied by the one who placed himself where we deserve to be. You see the very stone, which will at times end indeed crush all who reject him, is that cornerstone upon which is built Christ's church, And your life, not only now, but for the rest of eternity. Speaking of eternity, one final point of the parable. It's most interesting that Jesus began the parable by saying, a man planted a vineyard and he let it out. He rented it, you see. He leased it to tenants and then he went to another country for a time. Interesting statements, because to let something out, to rent something, to lease it for a, for a short term, it has a short-term nature to it, it has a temporary nature to it. It's meant not for the long term, but for the short term. There's going to be a change in tenants in time that's being let it out to them, it's being rented to them. Contrast that to the end of the parable, where Jesus, speaking of those final occupants of the vineyard, says that the owner of the vineyard will come and destroy the tenants, And note well then these words, and he will give the vineyard to others. Not to other tenants, but to others. And he will give it to them. He doesn't let it out to others. He doesn't rent it to others. He doesn't lease it to others. He gives it to others. And those others 
are his church. It's you and me. Jesus says elsewhere, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's not something that you pay anything to get, not something that you pay anything to keep. You can't buy it, you can't rent it, you can't lease it, you can't make payments on it of any kind. The owner of the vineyard has already bought it for you, purchasing it with the precious blood of his only begotten and his most beloved son. And now he gives the vineyard, the kingdom to you. How? Through scriptural word, through baptismal waters, through sacramental bread and wine, and which is the very body and blood of his son. He gives it to you. You see, we're not tenants. We're not tenants anymore. In Christ, we've been made the vineyard owners, daughters, and sons. We're heirs of his kingdom. So treasure the gift. In the name of the giver, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
now pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. We do remember in our prayers this week the family of Jesse Gonzalez Sr., who passed away this last week. We also recall the particular grace of God in the lives of several in our congregation. For these and others we now pray. Lord God, we by our sins have been guilty of mistreating your word and indeed your son, whom you sent to rescue us. Yet in your kindness you have chosen to deliver him up that we might be forgiven of our sin. For the sake of your beloved Son, incline now your ear to our requests. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father of Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone of the Church, by your Holy Spirit keep us, your people, steadfast upon your word, that we may not grow cold to your Son's visitation through it and so reject it, but rather that we may grow daily in it, and by the regular hearing of it and the regular use of your sacraments, we might be strengthened in faith and in love for one another. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Help us each to recall daily the blessing of our baptism, so that we might be reminded that because of Christ, you remember not our former sins. And therefore, we too can forget what lies behind us and press on in your grace and strength to the heavenly calling for which you've chosen us. Lord, in your mercy. Bless our land with leaders in the various branches of government who revere the law and constitution, who seek godly wisdom, and who would govern in humility. Grant also that the citizenry of our land may live according to the law where that law pleases you, and live together in peace. Where leaders and citizens would depart from your will, frustrate their plans, that you and your name may be glorified among the people of this nation and beyond. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Bless with patience those chronically ill and infirmed. Work healing in those who prepare for medical procedures, including Marilyn Brewer, who undergoes pain-relieving procedure this week. Receive our thanks for those who know and feel the healing that you've accomplished already in their lives. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Send the comfort of Christ's resurrection victory to those who mourn the death of dear ones that have departed in the Lord, including the family of Jesse Gonzalez Sr. May we be instruments through which the grieving are comforted, and may we be those through whom you direct the bereaved to your highest comfort and peace afforded through your word and sacrament. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Receive our thanks for the particular moments of your grace that we celebrate in our lives, for anniversaries of birth, including the birthdays of Carl von Borstel, father of Kathy Ashton, and John and Thomas Ashton, for anniversaries of baptismal birth, and anniversaries of marriage, and other happy occasions with which you bless our days. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that you would kindly continue to work in us repentant and believing hearts, that by hard hearts and unbelief we may never mistreat your Son when he comes to us in the Holy Supper, but in glad faith receive his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sin and the strength to press on through life's trials until that which is prepared for us in heaven is ours. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, hear our prayers, deliver and preserve us for the sake 
of the suffering and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, Father, in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you holy Lord Almighty Father everlasting God through Jesus Christ our Lord who overcame the assaults of the devil and gave his life as a ransom for many that with cleansed hearts we might be prepared joyfully to celebrate the Paschal Feast in sincerity and truth therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy One, Lord God of Almighty, heaven and on those whom you created and sent your only begotten Son into our flesh to bear our sin and be our Savior. With repentant joy we receive the salvation accomplished for us by the all-availing sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross. Gathered in the name and the remembrance of Jesus, we beg you, O Lord, to forgive, renew, and strengthen us with your word and spirit. Grant us faithfully to eat his body and drink his blood, as he bids us do. Gather us together, we pray, from the ends of the earth, to celebrate with all the faithful the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. Graciously, we receive our prayers. Deliver and preserve us. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, 
And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And also with you.
We give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift, and we implore you that of your mercy you would strengthen us through the same in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.